ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the great Scott Show, the great sports callers, open think tank. And joining me now, as promised, uh, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, at Rev Deuce Wyndham, and uh, one of my more enjoyable guests, Deuce Wyndham, uh, of the Houdat Confessional podcast, um, trained to scout players, football in particular, for the record, uh, this, not, not guys that think they can spit game, uh, by the Scout Academy, and, uh, and Deuce Wyndham joins us now. Deuce, man, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Um, actually, as you were calling, going through Sunday's game, doing a little bit of charting and uh, seeing what they were you know, what made them so successful. So, Well, all right, so you're not done with the project yet, but what are a few early early things you're noticing on the tape? Well, I think my favorite thing coming out of this game, and I mentioned it uh, actually kind of in our post-game wrap on the pod, that's before getting to go back through it, is, you know, during the game it seemed like it was probably Dennis Allen's best game in terms of making adjustments throughout the game against a style of offense and a play caller that seems to have had his number for quite some time in Shanahan. And that, that made me very hopeful and optimistic for some of the matchups that are coming up in the future. But it started off rough, you know, and, Really, that first quarter is everything Shanahan wanted it to be, but the adjustments throughout the game of everywhere from actually down to the D line up into the secondary were great, and I think that's you know just as key to anything in winning this game. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. I know in the the recap pod y'all did you, you focused a good bit on defense and special teams, and look, we're obviously going to talk offense in a little bit, and Drew Brees, and he's going to be out a while, and I want your thoughts on Jameis, but uh, sticking on the defensive theme here. Um, Quan Alexander, I mean, his, the addition of him, it's only one game and it was against his former team, but what do you, what, what kind of impact do you see him making moving forward compared to Alex Anzalone, who by all accounts is now clearly the guy that's going to be on the bench? Yeah, I think that you saw an immediate improvement in play, not necessarily just in terms of being better than Alex Anzalone. And I think that even in this game, you can notice a discernible quickness. Now, I don't think Quan is necessarily faster than Anzalone, but what he does do is process quicker. I mean, he wasn't very hesitant in his decisions. He knew his assignment and where to attack. In fact, he talked about coming into New Orleans that first week. He was talking about how quickly he was picking up the playbook, and DeMario was talking about how quickly he was picking up the playbook and how he didn't really have to teach him anything. And, and that level is something that they've missed. But the biggest impact it's had is actually on DeMario Davis. Now that DeMario is able to play – I don't want to say a more limited role, but a more targeted role. Instead of DeMario being the only linebacker who's consistently doing everything well, not that Anzalone was just doing everything terrible, but DeMario was the only one doing everything well. Now he's got another one who took a little bit of load off his plate. And, you know, his big, you know, um, great game. I mean, Chauncey's going to get a lot of love, and deservedly so, but DeMario had a fantastic game as well, and a lot of that has to be attributed to how Quan was playing next to him. C.D. Deuce, a.k.a. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, a.k.a. Um, Mr. Let, let's just, you know, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. I'm going to call him that uh, for this interview <laughs> for the remainder. He and DeMario both, in my opinion, had their absolute best game of the season. Uh, how much of that, uh, you, you mentioned DeMario and the impact that Quan allows DeMario to have. What about a safety that, you know, goes downhill as much as Gardner Johnson and make plays in the open field? Is the is the impact by Alexander felt for him as well? 
It's not as much for CJ, but I do think it helps. I mean, it, it depends on, you know, where they're at and what they're trying to play there. And you look at just the different drives they went through. I think the biggest impact you saw, and it's from the start of the game, in fact, Chauncey's one of the few players this game whose assignment never really changed defensively. When they put him on the edge, uh, he was dominant, and both the run stop, uh, had some great penetration and, and as a blitzer, and as an edge rusher, just coming off clean, getting a couple of nice QB hits and a sack. Uh, but even his coverage changed. It didn't really changed. Uh, the, the key is, and I said this, and this wasn't meant disrespect to Kenny Vaccaro, who's still playing and, you know, having good years in another location, but he's everything that Kenny Vaccaro was supposed to be this game. And he was dominant in the short and intermediate passing game. Wasn't amazing, but was very good. Great against the run, especially given his size. And then on top of that, a great pass rusher, because one thing that they had to adjust to, is Allen loves to bring on his zone blitzes linebackers. But that clears out the middle of the field. And what was San Francisco trying to kill? The short middle of the field, tons of slants and little crossing patterns to start the game. To start clearing some of that out, we had to have our linebackers drop underneath and even using Malcolm Jenkins in that. Chauncey was integral in helping alleviate some of that pressure because now you're not actually blitzing Demario Davis, who coming into this game had 50 blitzes, was on pace for over 100. You know, uh, and while he's very effective in that role, he's also great as a defender in the middle. So Chelsea helped open up things on the other side of the defense as well. And you know, all of this playing together helped perform. You know, a defense that really shut out uh, after the first quarter, shut out the 49ers. How would you, not being a prisoner of the moment, um, which I. I can be, and our listeners can be at times. How would you grade the job Dennis Allen's done this whole season? Oh, that's a tough one because I feel like a lot of DA's problems are yearly problems, and that's frustrating. The defense always starts off flat. They just do. And they've done it every year with DA. However, as the year progresses, they always get better. So the the pragmatist in me looks at this going – yeah, that's annoying, but you know come deeper into the season, especially with health, things get better. And one thing I like is that anytime there's been an issue, he's pinpointed what that issue is and went to the front office and says, hey, this is what I need to fix it. So this year, apparently, it was linebacker play killing the short middle of the field, and Quan comes in, and it's only one game. So we'll see how much of an effect it has long-term. But we saw an immediate payoff against San Francisco. We saw him make the trade for Eli Apple when Ken Crawley wasn't playing the standard. So he seems to do the work to make things better. It's not always as quick as we want it to be, and we don't always get the results as quick as we want it to be, but he's played well. I've always said this about D.A. He is not a top five or even – maybe even a top 10 coordinator in the league. I put him right in the middle. He's good, you know? And when you put elite talent with him, you can have a very, very good defense. And I think that's what you're seeing from D.A. He did a really good job adjusting. I think he's having a good season. Is it perfect? No. But I also don't put him at the top of the, you know, the D.C. world like I would have Todd Bowles either. ESPN 1420.com. Deuce Windham, our guest right now at Rev Deuce Windham on Twitter from uh, the Houdat Confessional podcast, and he has done some stuff uh, in the past with The Athletic as well, breaking down the tape, and he is a football scout. So looking at the film um, defensively, from a, a defensive line standpoint, and you've, look, you've covered this on your pod, Deuce. I know everyone listening hasn't listened to all your podcasts that you and Eli and Ross do, but what, what kind of impact does Marcus Davenport make even when it's not in the stat sheet? 
I think the biggest thing with Davenport, it's funny you mentioned that I'm actually watching a play right now, Mark Davenport, uh, is his ability to come in in the interior and just be versatile, whether he's as an outside rusher. But we've seen them put in this package where they'll put Hendrickson next to him and they'll slide Davenport in to let him use his strength and, and just overwhelming brute force. He reminds me, but he's basically what David Onyemata would be if David Onyemata was an edge rusher. All of the tools and refinements not necessarily there at the moment, but the brute strength and power definitely is, and that's great to see. And I just love that you can move him anywhere. He's played Cam's strong side spot. He's gotten better as a run defender in terms of containing the edge. He's worked interior as a three-tech pass rusher, and he's worked on that backside uh, against left tackles and that weak side as a pass rusher. So he, the, I think the biggest effect that he has is he's essentially three players. Now, He's still not at the point where he's, you know, that 15-sack, amazing, the greatest on the team type player, but he's definitely on that same trajectory because he's opening up things for everybody. When you can move that type of player around, now T-Rex is able to get consistent pressure or we can run more stunts. It's just it's the versatility factor of him being good anywhere you line him up that makes him special, whereas a lot of guys are, like as great as Avon Yamada's playing, he's only playing one spot. He's not going anywhere else. You're not lining up. You know, Demario, or I'm sorry, David Onyemata is a wide nine. You're just not. You're keeping him in a three to a one. But you can do anything with Davenport, and that is what makes him so dangerous. You mentioned Onyemata and the job he's done, granted at one spot, but in terms of bang for their buck, is this one of the best contracts on the Saints team? Because he has been, in my opinion, Deuce, and you would know better than me, watching all the film that you do, but it seems like he's been the most consistently solid defensive player week to week this season. Mm, I don't know if I call him the most consistent defensively because there have been some good play. But, I mean, I will tell you this. It's been his most consistent season by far of his career, and that's been the key. You know, uh, having gotten to watch him for several years now, it's he'll have these stretches of dominance where it just all clicks for him. And then he'll have a three-set game, and then he'll follow up with, you know, several pressures, but then he'll disappear for a month. The great thing about Onyemata is I've seen him have an impact every single game, and I've yet to have a game that just went, wow, Onyemata really screwed up here, and he cost a big play. Or it was, you know, issues that in the past were technique-based, where he would just get blown off the line because he struggled in technique. And started, that's not happening this year. And when he's getting one-on-ones, he's dominating, going straight back into the pocket. He's collapsing, and he's doing a good job two-gapping by extending, locking out, and monitoring either side of the gap. So all those little technique issues that at first were he was raw and it was just about winning with raw strength, now he's winning with technique you know, with that strength. So that's what's producing on Yamada's incredible season and it is great that you got him on a great price point because you know the way that he's playing if he gets a year or two of this you could see him you know demand good money as a three tech but because they split so much time between him and rankins and him and roach you know it keeps him fresh but also probably keeps him under the radar a little bit yeah i mean he played i think 75 percent of the snaps on uh on sunday as opposed to you know cam jordan who's out there for i don't know 86 or 90 or something like that mm-hmm. um what, what so you you hesitated. So who do you think, from a defensive standpoint, has been the most consistent player this year for the Saints? Oh, man, probably Janoris Jenkins. I mean, if we're just talking about consistent, like you know exactly what you're getting from that player, Janoris. Well, uh, let, let me let me rephrase, best, Deuce. A good a good consistent, okay? Because some guys can probably be been consistent. the most. Like he has yet to have a just a blown play that that's okay. Janoris. Now he's gotten beat. But that doesn't mean he's he's just had these like huge gaps. I mean, uh-huh. he's been very consistent in what he is, and that's been very important. Opposite Marshawn Lattimore, 
you know, I think Williams has improved the season's gone along, but inconsistency there. Even DeMario with a full plate has been inconsistent, but I think that was because of everything he's had to do. Now he got to be more of a free-roaming guy, especially play a lot more middle linebacker and let Quan play Will. So all of that working in tandem, I, you know, low-key Janoris isn't getting talked about a lot, but he should get talked about more. Coming into this game, he was at, you know, allowing like a, a 60 passer rating, which is extremely good. So Janoris has been super consistent for this team. We make jokes, Deuce Windham, I guess, we make jokes about Mickey Loomis and the Saints cap and all that other stuff, and I get it. And at some point, you know, you pay the pipe or whatever. Considering that with the loss of ticket revenue, and if they don't work out a new TV extension with the networks, the mm-hmm. NFL's cap expected to go down. And I know there are a couple of ifs in there, but just ride with me here. Let's say it does. So Janoris Jenkins, you mentioned T-Rex earlier, Trey Hendrickson. And these are guys that are playing themselves under some pretty good contracts. going to be easier said than done keeping those guys around in the future, no? Yeah, for sure. It is. In, you look at somebody like T-Rex, he's on pace for over 10 cents. I mean, conservatively. I mean, seven and a half through eight definitely puts you on pace for more than 10. And you just look at historically, those guys get paid. And he's probably going to get paid a million a sack. Uh, I mean, if you want to just throw out a number of what he could earn, a million a sack, probably pretty fair. And if you're looking at it from the outside, you know, when you study these guys and you see them every day, you see it as a development. Like, you know specifically what T-Rex does. But if you're looking at it as an outside GM and you go, well, he had four and a half sacks in 2019 and 2020 he had 11, 12, whatever it ends up being, you see a definite progression as a full-time starting quality player. So what are you going to do? You're going to pay to improve your pass rushing. And this is not to say T-Rex is bad. I think T-Rex is a fantastic finisher. There's a reason he's leading the team in sacks right now. But I also feel personally that it could be a Paul Kruger-type situation where he is helping benefit from amazing play around him as well. That's helping lead to some of those you know, sacks and pressures. And him leaving, I don't think he replicates 10 sacks on another team but I do think he does here in New Orleans. And just to give you reference, he has the same number of pressures as Cameron Jordan, but Cameron Jordan's got less than half the sacks. So a lot of the guys are creating those pressures on Yamada, Davenport, Jordan, and T-Rex is making sure to finish them, which is an extremely important quality. But he's part of a fantastic front right now, and I think that's going to lead him to getting paid. But I don't know if the Saints are willing to pay him a million dollars per sack that he earns. Yeah, it's uh, decisions to be made for sure, and um, it's weird because you you know you 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 break down what he does well and why he might um, you know kudos to him for whatever dime he gets, but might uh, he might just be outpriced for the Saints based on how he's playing. Yeah. But to your point of yeah, but but look at all the different reasons why you know you're not saying he is Paul Kruger in fact the opposite i mean paul kruger with the saints just brings back you know bad memories of those defenses uh you know 2015 2016 i think it was when kruger was there your point is in in the wrong system he could be that he's in the right system right now and if he goes and gets a payday elsewhere great but he's probably not going to be uh, making yeah, 10 I'm million a year that with the he saints. hasn't come out and been that dominant he takes over by himself right and, you know, when Kruger came, now granted Kruger was 30 when he came to New Orleans, but you look at him in Baltimore, had that nine-sack season, then went to Cleveland, had like four and a half, eleven, and then he just kind of like fell off the map. And 
a lot of that is based on what's around you. I mean, the 2016 Saints defense wasn't exactly loaded with talent anyway. I think everybody remembers the grand days those were. It's the reason that Drew Brees was considering quitting after some of those seven and nine seasons. And then it got better. But, you know, you, you look at T-Rex, and I do think that he's going to be a very, very good player. I think he is a very good player. But, you know, there's just a common trend in this league where you pay guys who get over 10 sacks. You just do. Look at Vic Beasley. Got paid huge. Never replicated what he did. So it's not that I'm saying T-Rex is bad. I just think that T-Rex performance is going to price him out of New Orleans. And I hope he gets every dollar he can. I would love him to take a hometown discount. But just the nature of the NFL, they see sacks, they give money. That's just how it works. Great stuff from Deuce Windham, our guest, ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com and the ESPN 1420 app. I'm Scott Prather coming to you from the Roofing Louisiana studios. Uh, check out Deuce on Twitter at Rev Deuce Windham, uh, the Houdat Confessional podcast. Go hit subscribe, listen, check it out. See if you want to be a Patreon, but get some great, great Saints content. Uh, there's only three Saints podcasts I listen to, Deuce, and you've got one of them, so Shout out for that, man. I, I've always enjoyed the job that you guys do. I uh, want to talk to you, obviously, about the offense and Breeze and Winston, but uh, before we do that, real quick, um, the Saints special teams. Uh, Deontay Harris had the muff, but outside of that, you know, he seems to have been really, really solid this year. You know what you're getting with Will Lutz. JT Gray's a, a really solid player. Um, what? How would you grade the Saints special teams to this point this year, including Thomas Morestead, who some feel like hasn't, played up to his standard as a whole i would give the special teams right around a b grade as a whole i think the coverage units have been pretty good you know for most of the season you know there's been a little bit of ups and downs where we talk about them having uh, honestly a fantastic start to the season and then kind of just like a good here there type of the rest of the year then a couple of games where they just pop up and they're great i said special teams i think has been a very strong point for them yet you know yesterday's game is a great example of that you know Marquez Callaway being on point is fantastic but I, I will say that it's very apparent that Morstead this year isn't playing as well as he used to play I mean we're, we're talking about a player who we're used to you know being nicknamed the leg for a reason you know and I'm not here to knock the guy but he's averaging just from last year five yards less per punt and that's not to say that he's playing so bad that he we need to get a new punter, but he's definitely taken a big trend downward, and it's not been a one-game thing. I mean, we're nine games into a season, but he's been the only real weak point to the kicking game, and that's been him. You know, Will Lutz has – I think Will Lutz has been phenomenal all season. He's been what exactly a good kicker is for you. I think the coverage has been great. If there's one negative, it's been Morstead's play. And, and not that 41.5 yards per punt is, you know, terrible but we've, we're talking about a guy who at one point was averaging 50 yards a you know, punt in a game i mean uh, in, in a over a course of a season so yeah there, there's been a downtick there and it's affected the the team i mean you look at some of the starting field positions the defense has had to face that's been tough for them espn 1420 espn 1420.com and the espn 1420 app deuce windemar guests we're going to take a quick time out when we come back drew Brees. Multiple fractured ribs, a collapsed lung. He's going to be out a while. Jameis Winston, it's his time. What do you see on film, Deuce? How do you break it down? How do you think he'll play? We'll talk all about it next. Get the words from the scout, Deuce, next, right here on ESPN 1420. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back into the program, everybody. Good morning. It's ESPN 1420.com. I'm Scott Prather, and uh, still with us on the line, Deuce Wyndham, one of my favorites from uh, the Saints, uh, the Hudak Confessional Podcast. He uh, He's a scout, got his stuff from the Scout Academy. Uh, he uh, labels himself an O-line, D-line lover. He likes the big boys. He likes... You know what, man? A physical football game where the guys just dominate up front, Deuce, is that just like your happy place when you get to watch that on film? 100%. If you want me to be completely honest, as much as I love the Saints game, really good game, favorite game of the weekend, definitely Cleveland. <laughs> you know, Rainy, dude. muddy conditions, terrible field, all focused on the running game. Yeah, that, that was... The, oh, that's the good stuff. The weather gods are doing Cleveland a favor. It's like they're forcing them to do what they need to do and just run the ball by by making it just nasty instead of just yeah. allowing Cleveland to just try to throw it way too much with Baker Mayfield. And when they do that, they usually lose. So Cleveland is lucky they've been playing in some pretty nasty games. I don't know if I'd say lucky. You know, <laughs> if I looked at bad weather, goes, but I do think that, you know, you've got two stellar backs and – you know, Kareem Hunt and Chubb, and both are playing extremely well. That O line has, you know, definitely improved for some of the years past. I mean, I still think you got a great passing game, but I mean, you definitely want to focus on some of your best players, and that's what you know this game kind of made them do. Is their O line and you know running backs had to step up, and they show that they're better than most teams in the league. So, it ended up working out for them. Deuce Winham, our guest, ESPN fourteen twenty. All right, let's let's look on the offensive th- side of things, Deuce and. Uh, where to even begin? Um, let me let me start real quick with the big guy up front before we get into the quarterback situation. Uh, Cesar Ruiz, um, you know the the Saints rookie. Everybody saw him just miss the block that led to Drew Brees' injury. Uh, I thought he played really well in the Detroit game, um, but he has had some obvious growing pains. Look, you're I'm I'm I don't have time to go and look at all the tape like you do and do such a great <laughs> job of. What are you seeing on tape as a guy that loves to analyze offensive linemen? What is he doing right and what is he doing wrong so far? Oh man, I, I think there's a couple things where he's. I think the first thing we got to do is you know cut him a little bit of slack because he is a rookie and he is growing. It's not that he's not seeing plays. Is I just think that he's having rookie pains and rookie growing pains. You know. The top two issues I would have to say he faces as a rookie is, number one, his upper body strength. And coming into the league, that was a comment about him at center, was that his upper body, his ability to dominate and control from his core and up top was not as strong as a lot of other guys in the class. And that's evident when he's going against some big guys like Indomitian and Sue, and he loses a lot of those pure strength rushes. And another thing is, and this is what all rookies end up facing, is technique. He gets beat a lot by vets setting him up on moves and then beating him later in the game. And that's something that you really only kind of get better with with practice and experience. You know, and Nick Easton, who has played a little bit of right guard, has played, I would say, maybe better. But even then, you know, you're looking at Easton, who has played right around – I think I think he's played 160 pass blocking snaps, something like that. And according to both Pro Football Focus and Sports Radar, he's given up eight pressures. Now, flip side of that, Ruiz has played almost twice as many pass rush 
uh, snaps and giving up 18 pressures. So they're pretty similar in their numbers there. It's So it's not like if we just bench Ruiz, we're definitely getting a better player in Easton. You might get a better player in terms of understanding, you know, what vets are going to throw at you so he might not lose the same way. But Ruiz, you're kind of having to throw him into the fire right now. And admittedly, he's playing poorly in a lot of ways. But at the same time, you know, you drafted him. You know what he can be. You have to let him develop into that at some point. And, and right now, I don't know if there is a better option. But me looking here from this side, I mean, I understand it both ways. Easton probably gives you a slight upgrade, but then you lose your best backup. So if Andres Pete goes down, nobody to slide into that. Or if Ruiz goes down, nobody to slide into that. So do you risk losing that player for a, for a marginal increase in right guard play? Yeah, I I think he's look. I think he has a bright future. I'm not um, I'm not getting overly dramatic or anything. It's just it's a tough mm-hmm. spot and a tough look when you're the guy that blows it on the play where Breeze just happens to get hurt. For sure. I mean, it's uh, it's funny because I had a friend. He coaches high school ball uh, out west, and his comment to me on uh, Twitter yesterday was, "Cesar Ruiz is everything that Saints fans say Andres Pete is." <laughs> I just kind of felt bad for the guy, but you know. But there's also some positives to take. You know, Cesar Ruiz does not have a single penalty this year, and that might seem like a small thing, but no false starts, no holdings, you know, no hands of the face. Those are things you're used to seeing rookies struggle with, you know. So it's one of the things where you need to find the good. If it does does come to a point where you need to bench him, fine, you know. But I'm not going to bench him over Drew Brees getting hit. Yeah, it was tough, and you hate to see it, but you know. I'm personally on the board of that shouldn't even been a penalty. Quarterbacks are football players, and you should be able to hit them. I know that's sacrilege to say in today's NFL, but you know it's going to happen sometimes. And Drew gets hit less than any other quarterback, and he's been hit less than any other quarterback. And you know who is also part of that? Cesar Ruiz. So. Well, you won't get an argument from me on on it shouldn't have been a penalty. Uh, there were a number of calls that should have been, including the cheap shot on Traquan Smith, but the 100%. sack of, the sack of Breeze uh, should not have been. Uh, but the Saints beat up right now on offense coming out of this one. We'll we'll learn more as the week goes on, and we'll get the first practice slash injury report tomorrow afternoon. And it and in regards to Breeze, you know, I, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while with the um, the collapsed lung and and the fractured ribs. So um, it's going to be Jameis time for for a bit. And uh, between Jameis and Taysom, do you anticipate more of how do I phrase this? So last year when we saw Teddy Bridgewater come in, and I'm not talking about against the Rams because I'm, I'm not going to put any stock mm-hmm. into a game when someone comes in unexpectedly, right, Based uh, compared to when you have a whole game plan and a whole week to set up. When we saw yeah. Teddy against Seattle and some other teams, you didn't see as much of Taysom, and I could be misremembering, right out the gate, did you see as much kind of Taysom Bridgewater together or was it more just – we're going to let Teddy kind of cook. And, and te- I remember him throwing a touchdown to Taysom and stuff like that. Do you think we'll see Taysom get 22 snaps but uh, or, or rather 9 or 10 at quarterback a game? Or do you think that, that that's going to be pretty low and most of it's going to Jameis? What's the approach going to be in your mind moving forward? So just to help your memory, you're not misremembering against Seattle. Taysom had four snaps against Dallas. He had six. Uh, you did see that snap go up a little bit against uh, Tampa with 15. But there was definitely a downtick. And to compare that to the end of the season, say, for example, against Tennessee, he had 25 snaps. So, you know, when Drew was healthy and back, you saw Taysom in 
more than 25% of the snaps every single game. When he was down, you only saw him in 20% of the snaps once. So there, there's definitely – and there's two things that go into that. One, it's you want to be able to build a rhythm with a guy who's not familiar with the offense, but also you don't want to have the risk of both guys getting injured because if Taysom goes down, who you got throwing the ball? You just got rid of Tommy Stevens. So unless you want to you know, see if one of the McCown brothers is still just kind of chilling around somewhere at 45 years old – you know, you, you want to protect your assets. And while I do believe that Winston is the for sure number two, you know, knock on wood, all that other stuff, heaven forbid, he gets injured, Taysom's still got to play quarterback. So, you know, I think that you see a, a, a game plan that Winston's going to contribute into creating if he has to play this week. So we'll know that by Wednesday and Thursday if he's the one doing the game plan install and everything. And if that's the case, then, yeah, I would expect to see a little bit less of Taysom not completely off the field, but, you know, I wouldn't expect to see him where we've seen him this year, which is getting significant snaps. I mean, we've seen him, you know, against Tampa, obviously having a great game. This past game was not a good one, but, you know, most of the games this season, he's averaging more than 25% of the snaps. So, Deuce Wyndham, our guest from the Houdat Confessional podcast. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, I know you're, you're just starting to look at some more film, but, um, you know, your Thursday preview show and, when you guys take, I guess, a deeper look, give me some of your early, I guess, tidbits that stand out to you about Jameis Winston and maybe any potential different looks you might expect to see in the Saints offense or, or do you expect them to run a very similar offense that they would under Brees? It's going to be a mix of both, which I know is the cheesy answer from me, but just to give you an example, you know, one thing that I know a lot of people who follow my work have started to enjoy is my pull the trigger segment where I talk about, you know, whether it's Breeze, Bridgewater, Taysom, who had an option that he didn't go to and should have. That's not something I expect to have to do for Jameis Winston. It's not pulling the trigger you got to worry about with Jameis. It's getting him to make sure he's pulling the trigger at the right time. Jameis is going to take the shot, and actually that could be a new level and a new layer to this offense because Drew doesn't do that, mostly because Drew can't do that. It's, you know, Drew can throw it 50 yards, but is he going to throw it perfectly 50? Probably not. He's going to do what he talked about being early in the season. He's going to be that surgical guy that gets it to his playmakers. But you're seeing an opportunity here where, you know, Deontay Harris, Traquan Smith, even Marquez Callaway, more ability to push the field vertical. And if Drew misses significant time, I feel like you'd see the offense navigate towards that a little bit. If Drew's only going to miss a week or so, you probably see the exact same offense just custom built for some of the play calls and some of the kill calls and audibles for Jameis, and that's it. Depends on how bad this contusion is, which is just a fancy medical word for making bruises sound bad. And it is a bruise. It's, you know, ribs. I'm not a doctor. I just know that, you know, you, you look anywhere from a week to a month recovery time, and that's just going to depend on breathing his body. So that's what they have to look at here. Main plan is this week. Worry about this week. See what you got. What are you expecting out of Jameis, Deuce? I mean, I, I know it's an open-ended question, but we know the things that, have, that he's done well, and we know, obviously, turnovers, the things that have plagued him as a pro thus far. What are you anticipating him doing here? I think Jameis is a solid starter, but I also think that Jameis is going to be treated as the secondary piece. They're, you know, If Jameis has to take the, the wheels to the Lambeau, they're, they're going to let Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, those still be the main drivers. And you can kind of see that against the 49ers where you know, it was very obvious 
that Winston was not part of the game plan, and he shouldn't have been. I mean, that's what Breeze is for. So he basically just started going, okay, who is the number one guy to try to get the ball to? Michael Thomas. So it almost became a four-speed Michael Thomas thing. And that's a natural reaction. I mean, when you aren't prepared for the game plan and it's not tailored around you and what you're trying to do, you're going to try to go to the playmakers and force it there. And I think you'll see them find ways to make, you know, Jared Cook, Adam Trotman, I think is going to get an increased role as the season goes on. Smith, if he you know passes protocol, all those guys are going to have some design plays to give Jameis not necessarily less options, but to help – help him make the decision as he acclimates to being a starter again. <laughs> ESPN 1420.com. I, um, yeah, I, I don't think I have just, I have no idea. I just know that I can't make a judgment based on what we saw Sunday because that's oh, not, not at all. You know, I mean, I, I remember folks doing it last year against the Rams with Teddy Bridgewater. And I said, look, you need to give it at least three or four weeks before you can really diagnose you know the kind of job he's going to do and you know four weeks later they were four and oh and you know some games he played better than others but he got the job done and right now that's all the saints really need here they just need Jameis to get the job done because in the nfc this year if you can get to the playoffs and you can get breeze back and and win or if you get breeze back is is a question mark at this point i know but i figure if, if you're in the playoffs uh that's a eight week timetable so the the odds are better you got a shot. I mean, I, I think Jameis is going to win some games here. The schedule sets up pretty favorably. I know that they got a number of road games, but in terms of the opponents they're playing, Saints are likely going to be favored in all these games, even with Jameis a quarterback, maybe up until, obviously, they play Kansas City. Um, I think they're going to win some games here, Deuce. I just think mm-hmm. when you're a team that says, look, it's Super Bowl or bust, you, you, you still really, really need Drew Brees back at some point. 100%. You know, and I said this on uh, Twitter earlier this morning. Drew Brees gives you the best chance to win the Super Bowl, but you are still a very good winnable team with Jameis Winston at quarterback. And I think for, you know, most fans out there, it's the day-to-day operations kind of gets lost of what happens before game day. You know, uh, you look at what actually goes into designing a game plan. You know, the quarterback, in this case Brees and Peyton, are going to sit down together pick plays and go over the pre-designed plays that they're going to run. So those first 15, they get called. They're going to have that same set that they agree upon and work on for the second half. So there's usually about 15 to 20 for the first half, another 5 to 10 of those pre-designed, this is what we want to open up with. Then they're going to have certain kill calls that they're going to focus on, certain tendencies that they're going to work together. This is all part of the game plan between the coach and the quarterback, or in some cases offensive coordinator, depending on the team. None of that is stuff that Winston's contributing to. If Winston is the starter, he's going to contribute to that entire process. And now we're talking about working on his strength, what he does well, how he reads the field instead of how Drew does it. And that has a big impact. It had a big impact for Teddy. There's a reason Teddy went 5-0, and even though Teddy did not come out throwing 300 yards and three TDs every game. So you just got to have faith in Peyton, who's already proven he can win once in this situation, knowing that you want Breeze back, knowing that you want Breeze to be the guy, and just trust James to go out there and play football. ESPN1420and.com. Great stuff from Deuce Wyndham, our guest, ESPN1420and.com. My final uh, two questions for you, Deuce, on the offensive side uh, about, I think, two of the best players in the league. Last year's Offensive Player of the Year in Michael Thomas, and I think who will be this year's Offensive Player of the League in Alvin Kamara. Let's just start with Thomas. What, what are you seeing on film? Do you feel like he's still being hampered by an injury? 
Um, do you expect him to get back to that player that you know we've seen that can be so dominant? I don't necessarily think uh, he's being hampered by injury right now. I think uh, I actually think he he ran some really good routes, and I've only started mostly going to the defense. Uh, after the game, I'll go through it again, like right after it ends. But I'm still using the broadcast tape when I go through that. I thought he ran some good routes. It's just you know one, there's a little bit of rust there because you haven't played football in over a month, and that does matter. And then I think that there's just also some opportunities that they didn't give him the ball. I mean, you look when Drew went down, Drew didn't see that many snaps. I mean, you saw the snap count. You got to remember the first half, he basically didn't see the field at all in the first quarter. So by the time the second half rolls around, you had some good looks. Uh, the first look that was a miss by Winston in the end zone to Thomas, he's actually open. I mean, that's a good route by Thomas. There's just some opportunities that weren't, you know, captured, and that's going to happen. And, and I think some of those get cleaned up. You know, it's basic routes. I mean, Winston might know that, hey, Thomas is going to run a fade route right here, but Thomas is probably used to running that route closer to the first pylon with Drew Brees. Drew's going to hit him short, quick on the outside, but maybe Winston's used to throwing that to the back corner and he expects you to hit on the back shoulder over the top. So little things like that that they have to work on together. I think it's fine, but I think Thomas is going to continue to put up numbers, and I think Thomas is going to have a good game. The only problem I have with this past one is he started getting targets uh, on basically on some throws that shouldn't have happened. Uh, his poor catch percentage took a real big dip yesterday. He was like two for seven. But I don't think that's just because he wasn't playing well. I think that's just the nature of the circumstances that they were in. Final question, Alvin Kamara. I mean, we see it on game day. Do you ever just – like when you're going back after the fact and watching tape, just have to rewind it a few times just because, because it's that enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that he does is special. And, you know, I think a lot of the big guys at the O-line need a little bit of love because they have been tremendous the past couple of years and opening up some great lanes for him to read from, but his ability to read and adjust on the fly is so impressive. And, What's more than that is that he can do it from multiple positions. He's just as good of a slot receiver in the short intermediate routes as he is a running back, as he is a receiving back. And that's, that's truly rare to see. I think that he's your offensive player of the year if he continues on this way, which I'm okay with because you know what? Being the offensive player of the year means you're the MVP who's allowed to get hit. That, that's just all there is to it. Quarterbacks win MVP, and Alvin Kamara is probably going to be your offensive player of the year if he keeps his pace up. And I'm okay with that. I think he's doing phenomenal. And, uh, Glad you paid him. <laughs> glad you paid him. Man, give the guy another raise the way he's playing this year. Holy cow. I'm glad to uh, – always glad to have you on the show, man. You, you bring it every single time. We talked to you just before the season started. Hopefully we could talk to you maybe just before the playoffs rolled around. Guys, go check him out. Uh, the Houdad Confessional Podcast. Subscribe there. You won't regret it. Check out all of Deuce's stuff. He uh, he tweets it all out at Rev Deuce Wyndham on Twitter if you want to get it there. Deuce, man, I appreciate the time. All the best up there in the uh, northern part of the state, my friend, and hopefully we'll get to talk to you again down the line. Thanks for having me.